Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv. And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page, you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And thedinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. Mm. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Woohoo! I love our intro. It is so not rehearsed and so organic and natural. Do you, is that how you feel? Organic That's... and natural? Yeah, I see the sesame seeds from here. <laughs> <laughs> you seem really crunchy. 30 seconds in, and already you're making me spit up onto our pop filters. If you don't, if if you're not in the podcasting world, which I, which is like now any which two people. Which we may not be either. We may not be either. We haven't checked our numbers lately. Right. Um, the pop filters go on microphones, I guess, to keep you from, to keep your peas from really popping. And I always spit on them or I bump into them because they jut out several inches from the top of our microphone. This is a fascinating discussion. Could you please keep your eyes open? Oh, my God. (laughs) Could we talk about it some more? Okay. Speaking of fascinating, as we told you, our lovely party people, um, we're alternating True Crime TV Club with more general sort of topic episodes because we are opinionated bitches with a lot to say. But this week, Eric Shaw Quinn actually has a true crime story of his <laughs> own. Well, I don't know how. To, yeah, I guess sort of. Yes. In, a, in an unusual sort of. Yeah, it's kind of true crime. Okay. just I threw you the cue. Just pick it up and run with it. All right. So just you're tell gonna, the story. You're going to go clean the kitchen Yeah, now. I, I've got some calls I got to make in the other room. <laughs> this podcast thing is eating up a lot of my right, weekend. Right. I got I got some stuff to do. I, I need to ch- update my Instagram. <laughs> Absolutely. With a picture of you telling this story Apparently. while I'm in the other room eating almonds. Okay. Well, that sounds great and really interesting for people at home listening to this, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah, it was, It was. I think it was like three or four days ago, mm-hmm. several days ago, and I had just come to the end of like a number of things that I had to get out of bed and do. You know, those days where it's like, okay, I have to get up because this is going to happen. The housekeeper's coming. Christopher's going to help me throw the Christmas tree off the balcony. Those kinds of things, you know. Mm -hmm. And so this was a day when I woke up at my usual time and realized, oh, I don't have to get up. So I was just sort of like, you know, indulging myself, lying Mm -hmm. there and kind of drifting in and out and... um. All of these helicopters started outside, and so there was this huge. But it's—I live right off the Sunset yeah. Boulevard. Let so me add that it's in. Not the that helicopters unusual. circling overhead is actually a normal thing in most parts of Los Angeles, oh, and yeah. certainly in West Hollywood. Because, yeah. like, when Paris Hilton was getting arrested, she lives like oh three blocks. Used to live like three or yeah. four blocks from me, and it was 
unbelievable. It was like we were being invaded. It was like the Tat Offensive. Because there are there are two types of helicopter activity over in the skies above Los Angeles. There's police helicopter activity, which is circling. They circle and they circle low because they're trying to see what's going on. The news helicopters are way, way higher up, I think by law, yeah. and they hover. So they're way, way noisier. You would think that them being higher up would reduce the noise effect, but the fact that they're not moving at all means right. if you're in the sound radius, you are getting blasted constantly. So you are hearing police helicopters. Uh, yes. Yeah. Circling, and it's going on outside, and I'm thinking, oh, for God's sake, guys, just let me have 15 more minutes. It's, it's really comfy in here, and... I worked really hard this week throwing that tree off the balcony and getting everything all. And then I hear from the loudspeaker on the helicopter, okay, you're in the white shirt. Put up, keep your hands up or you're going to get hurt. And I hit the floor. I was like, oh my God. But, but be, li- gonna be you a literally shootout. hit the floor. Is I literally you yeah, no, and got I on the floor. Got on the floor mm-hmm. um, I, because I was so freaked out. I was like, there's, there's going to be a shootout. Um, in the neighborhood, and so I'm texting Christopher. I'm saying from the floor, what the hell is going? And there was apparently there had been a robbery at the McDonald's. Oh my God! Yeah, no, I um, we have talked I think before about the Citizen app, which not every city has in use, but we have it here in LA, and a lot of big cities have it, which is I and guess it's Citizen. Christopher driven and I like to freak ourselves out because with it. it sends you an alert. Basically, people are monitoring the local police scanners, and they put up a post for every new call or report. So you get and it a makes lot. Of most nothing. terrifying sounds. I turn off all the sounds on my phone. I don't know how you can live like in that notification Like it's a combination of like uh, the vibration and a noise. So it goes boing and the yeah. phone kind of leaps off the table. It's terrifying. It, it has several levels of sounds. I think that I have only the one turned on that is that is the really serious alert. Like if something really terrible happens in Los Angeles, and they file an recently, alert. Recently, that's yeah. been going off plenty. So that um, morning... Two things, well, two things had happened. The thing that was encroaching upon your apartment building, literally, which was the pursuit of this guy with a knife. But later that night, or I should say earlier that morning at about 2.30, practically outside of my apartment building, a man was shot in the chest. When, we still don't have any information about Christopher this. Christopher went back in time. I, I, yeah, I went back. No, So I was thinking, I see a report. It's when you're waking up, it's when you're hearing the helicopter. I'm doing some Twitter work on the toilet, as one sometimes does. I get the alert from Citizen that there is another incident going down in the same area because this started over by me. Right. This was an attempted robbery outside of a McDonald's that um, sits on the former site of the Garden of Allah Hotel, if you know your L.A. history, but really doesn't look it like that It is actually, anymore. if you know the Joni Mitchell song, They Paved yes. Paradise and Put Up a Parking Lot, it's the parking lot that she's talking about. Exactly. Because she lived right up that same street. So what happened was, as we like to say, and I was looking on Citizen to be sure of it, was someone having a knife... It sounded to me like somebody who was clearly mentally unwell. Didn't sound like the best plan. He made a robbery attempt that really didn't work out with this knife. I don't think anyone was injured. The people at McDonald's told him to get out. Get the fuck out, because they're used to this shit. Um, He is walking down Sunset Boulevard in the direction, uh, general direction of our studio, and um, he uh, tried to commandeer a car, I think, and menaced the female driver of the car with the knife, I think maybe tried to order her to get out of her car, and so she fucking hit him. 
She drove her car into And him. all of this is happening like a half a block from me, on right where my street meets yeah. Sunset Boulevard. So all of this shit is going down like 8.15 in the morning right next to me with them yelling and like I'm expecting the shootout. And I don't know anything about McDonald's or a knife or anything. Yeah, it could because be, you haven't been awake. Yeah, I, I who wake knows? Up it could be an armored car now. robbery with machine guns and we're getting ready to have a hail of bullets. I mean, who knows? I like the idea that you assumed the helicopter was talking to you. I like the idea of you waking, your eyes popping open in bed and there's a helicopter above your building giving you orders well, and instructions. I didn't have on a white shirt. Oh, okay. So I figured I was he was at least not talking to me, but Crossfire kills plenty of people. Oh, that's, oh, that's awful. Like, that's what's wiping out the population of Chicago currently yeah. is people, poor kids, playing in their front yard, getting mowed down by all the shootings. Absolutely. So I didn't know that I was necessarily safe. Christopher is saying, texting me, get in the bathroom and close the door. So I went in the kitchen because it's even further. Because you were just that contrary. And I wanted to make tea. No, I actually thought the kitchen was a better option because of the way your apartment is laid out. But I knew that what was happening was happening up on Sunset, which was, I, I hope, a safe enough distance away from you because who knows and I knew that it was in, it involved a knife and I'm up a few floors so there was some but you never I just you never know it was shooting the, is shooting and I just didn't want to be a part of any shooting if I could avoid it and you so. can be very dramatic but I think this was one moment where your instincts were right on well it was just yeah like better safe than sorry like oh okay so I got out on the floor in my bedroom so what but um so it's in, a good story the the end it, this is really kind of the end of the story like the good the good thing about this is when the right. helicopters and leave this is you why know it's, it's not over. really a true crime story because <laughs> it just kind of peters out at this point after the lady ran the guy down with her car that was kind of it for his day in the sun and and it cleared up the nude guy dancing on the top of the bus was probably that that was way more exciting that was that way lasted more way longer than this. Um, I would also say that also the, about a block from my house. The truck full of concrete blocks or bricks that that turned over on Sunset and crushed another truck that was that lasted longer. I think the whatever. Yeah, although we're was making less it sound an, like we live next to uh, you know a. a, 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 a I don't know how to put it in a way that's not going to sound problematic. <laughs> it's just like there's some war zone up on well, Sunset. Well, Sunset is a really very busy, famous thoroughfare, so a lot of, a wide variety of stuff happens there. Zsa Zsa Gabor's wreck mm-hmm. that really put her, you know, like disabled her for the, her final years happened right up there at the corner up from my house. My first real apartment in West Hollywood, I when I first moved here, I lived in Studio City briefly and then moved home, but when I came back, I lived Studio in City. West Hollywood. I love Studio City. It's so it's just tranquil and people walk dogs and it's like the suburbs this has been you Christopher see on Christopher Rice talks about Studio I, City. I have a special place in my heart for Studio City, but we live in West Hollywood and we do our show in West Hollywood. It was a point of pride for me that I lived right around the corner from the liquor store that Halle Berry drove her car into and then left the scene. Right. That was a Cuz she had other thing. things to do. Yeah, she had. She was very busy. Sort of like me with this podcast. I've got very busy. I'm sorry. Tell a long story, Eric. I've got to go get a pedicure. I have to go. When I was a kid, I did a musical called Captain Billy. I started a musical called Captain Billy. And to promote it in Columbia, South Carolina, we went on all the daytime talk shows. We need tape and of we this. Went, I really hope that it still exists, but I would doubt it. It would probably be about five inches wide. Who knows? Maybe they filmed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, anyway, so this Ann Cobb was the host. I think it was called the Ann Cobb Show, but whatever. She was the host of the show at one of them at this um, at W O L O, 
um, that shot in a Quonset hut up on um, Shakespeare Road, and uh, Shakespeare Road. Uh-huh. Oh, how prophetic! And there was a there was like all of the sets were just sort of lined up around this Quonset hut on little squares of carpet on the mm-hmm. cement floor, and they just pointed the camera in different directions. I've been to this so, studio. So she yeah. asked us a question. And then the camera turned or to switch to us, and she got up and left, <laughs> and went to go get coffee and did stuff and talked to other people because it was ours to promote. We could say whatever we wanted to about our show. We were on the TV. That was Ann's job. She got us on TV, and then she just took off. I thought, good for her. Someday she, she would give us the little, you know, keep going sign because I got to finish this conversation. I got to find out what happened this weekend. <laughs> And then eventually she came back and sat down and said, so how would you compare theater to ballet? And we said, well, we wouldn't. And uh, and that was the end, you know, like or something like that. Yeah, it was a great oh, show. I Big love hit. local television. I love I, on book tours. I did a lot of local television. And some of them, I think I had more than one experience where. A reptile expert was brought in to do a live spot, and, a, and an anchor needed to decide that there was an area that was going to be reptile-free, so she would do the interview like practically by remote, even though they were in the same <laughs> studio. <laughs> the reptile I can't th- get any closer than that table over there. I, and I'm right there with her. I'm, I'm right down with, with that. Yeah. So... Yeah. I actually endorsed George McGovern on that particular promotional tour on WIS television. Did you? I bet that went over Len really Nevis. well in well, the Deep were, South. They were really quite stunned that I was aware, because I was like, I don't know, 10, something like that. I'm going to put this out there. Just let me stop. Let me put this out there. If you are in any way in a position to get the footage of the, what Eric is describing, now give as many facts as you possibly can. This happened in what year? God, I have no idea. So George McGovern was running for president. Whenever we know that. The, whenever that. So 69 or 70, this is probably South right along there. Carolina, is that? This is South Carolina. South Carolina. It's that summer. It's that. It's the summer right there. And um, W-O-L-O? W-O-L-O, W-L-T-X, and W-I-S. I did interviews on all three. Um, Second Cup of Coffee was the show on WLTX. Second Cup of Coffee. And um, WLO was, I think it was just the Ann Cobb I show. am determined and to find Len this Nevious footage. And interviewed me on uh, WIS. And, yes. Yeah, and that was me. Anyways, they were quite surprised that I was as aware of the political circumstance as I was. Because right. I was pretty young. I was How young? I'm going to say 10. If it was 1969, yeah. I was 10. Yeah. Well, I was a huge pain in the ass when I was 10. Oh, I didn't say I wasn't a pain in the ass. <laughs> you were a political pain in but the I ass. But I was well-informed about stuff. I was right. able to actually have a real conversation about politics. Right. You know, she asked me almost in a jokey kind of mm-hmm. way, you know, so have you got, you know, who are you picking, voting, going to vote for for president? And I gave her, a, you know, all the talking <laughs> points. <laughs> I remember the look on her face was like, oh, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. We're going to get some calls about this young man. I did not think we were going to go down oh, this road. Absolutely. That is hysterical. That is very funny. Well, so that is um, sort of a segue into what we had talked about talking about in this really? episode. <laughs> no, but I'm going to try to pretend that it is. What, what did we plan to talk we, about we, on this show? We were going to talk about the fact that 
We're making an effort to keep our top... We're not talking about a lot of headline news, aside from your true crime experience with the helicopters, although I don't really think that made it that it far out It never made city. any headlines. I've still yet to, to I, read a word, even in the local rags, even in WeHo Daily and WeHo Daily. Here's, here's why I think that is. WeHo, uh, one is the Twitter... WeHo Daily is the Twitter account, if you care at all about what's going on in West Hollywood. WeHo Daily posts out a lot of different stuff about breaking news, local breaking news and crimes. They said that all of those incidents that happened in that several-day period happened just outside the official borders of West Hollywood. So they drew these little red X's, and then they drew the border of the city. Guy with a knife that you were dealing with. On my street? That's definitely on both sides of the street because, yeah, we're still in West Hollywood. McDonald's is not in West Hollywood. I think that's what he he was talking about. West Hollywood does not allow fast food. Right? Isn't right. There, there's a, yeah. there's a, you can't have a, open a fast food place, so the entire city is surrounded by a solid ring of fast food places <laughs> where they built right up next to the border so that, you know, you're not officially cheating. You're just kind of stepping, you're going out of town for a little bit. Right. So the, the, uh, we, not WeHoVille, WeHo Daily, the guy was like, all these incidents happen just outside our border. What's next for us? And it was like, these incidents basically happen to us. Like the Honest border doesn't God. have, that much significant. Well, hi, I'm Christopher Rice, and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters and bitches. That's right. We're also authors, and you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network. Alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Oh, yeah. They have really hard policies about that kind of news coverage. <laughs> the yeah, local right. online news coverage that we have, like, for heaven's sake. I want to know what happened to the guy who was shot in the chest at 2 in the morning in my neighborhood. That doesn't happen, like, in my neighborhood. I mean, a lot of shit happens here, there but was, that's like... There was an... Last night, there was a home invasion armed robbery with 12, 10 to 15 men in, armed men and women burst into the house. I was like, oh my God. This is also from Citizen. This is from Citizen, and this needs a follow-up report. Because what I'm hearing when I read this story, and and you sent it to me, and I thought, oh my God, was a lot of people showed up at a party armed, and then there was an argument about something, and somebody had an argument about, no, that's not her purse, that's my purse, and here's my gun, you know, like, and it's escalated into something it didn't need to be. But who knows? Maybe it was a horrible... Helter skelter level murder, and I'm going to have to take this podcast. It was down not a murder, but there was a there. It was there was a, an armed robbery at a at a house where twelve to fifteen armed people <laughs> so were basically, involved. Even if they were the guests, there were still twelve to fifteen armed people involved in a in an armed robbery situation at this house. Even if only one person there was a robber, that doesn't negate the fact that the other fourteen people had guns. <laughs> So it's just really a, 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 a robber with really bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> what 
kind of party was this and why weren't we invited? And we wouldn't have gone, but we at least wanted to be invited. I honestly didn't think there were that many guns in West Hollywood. Oh, I don't know about that. We are not that kind of neighborhood, I wouldn't well, think. Well, I don't know. I've got a neighbor who's all about, oh, I've got my gun. And I live in an apartment building. He's like, I've got my guns down here just in case. I'm like, in case what? The zombie apocalypse? Like, you know. You know. You never know. You never know. Guns are controversial topic that we do not plan to address in this episode of Christopher or Eric. Ever. But we are planning to address something. So what I was saying earlier before the break is that we try not to do headline news because we want these podcasts to stay evergreen. And then we began talking about guns. And then we began talking. Well, we don't there's talk no about headlines there. Individual, <laughs> time-sensitive gun stories. But we do want to address the fact that we are cur- recording this during yet another Hollywood awards season. And you, Eric Those Shawquin, people are armed to the teeth. And those people <laughs> are invading currently. If we do not vote for Parasite, they will be, there will be armed conflict. No, we are members of the Writers Guild at this moment, and we're also mem- you are a member of the Screen Actors Guild. That's correct. And you have been very diligent. We, because of those uh, membership statuses, Receive screeners. Statuses. Statuses, excuse me. We I receive, don't know if it is. I made that up. We receive screeners. Or maybe I didn't. We receive screeners. Say it one more time. We receive screeners. <laughs> They're little DVDs of movies that are currently showing in theaters, but they the studios pay. Teeny tiny DVDs. They're like a distance. Like a charm tits. bracelet. They're like a microchip. No, they're just like regular DVDs. They're like regular DVDs that, that a lot of people don't have anymore anyway, because most people stream. The point is that they they mail these out. They arrive. They start arriving around October, November. It's in the beginning. It's they're already sending us next year's. Right. It's very exciting in the beginning when you get them because you're like, it's still in the theater, and yet I have it in my living room. And then you realize that the one common denominator of just about everything you're getting is that it is super depressing. (laughs) It is the heavy because I feel like that's where we are. Right. They're not sending you Iron Man. No. Although sometimes they do because someone has decided the script is going to get nominated for something that year or the writer is. His hope springs eternal. Um, but they're sent. I mean, this year, the movies that are really being. I did get a link for the Star Wars movies. I didn't I did get a DVD, too, but, but I, I got a link. do that. I don't. It's And I want to watch it on the big screen. I do, too. So anyway, um, what are some of the movies that are in content that are really hot? That we got screeners for Parasite. Everybody is talking about mm. Marriage Story. You were not a fan. We talked about that on. Well, a I thought episode. the performances were amazing. You thought the performances were amazing, but that the script was not. Uh, we watched a bunch over the holidays with Lady Anne, or that Anne lady, as I call her. Right. I, Ford versus Ferrari is a movie that they're throwing fun. a lot of weight behind. I enjoyed that. Um, the point of what we want to talk about today is not necessarily about the individual movies, but it's about. What is this process by which a select group of people decide which movies are going to be important, which movies we are going to pay attention to this season? Because the screeners, while it may just sound like a fun little perk that we get as being members of these unions, if a movie, if a studio does not commit to a mail out like this, your yeah. movie is not in contention in award well, season. There's a decision-making really, process. It has become a part of their promotional budget. Right. They they come out at a time of year where they're timed, so they'll still be in people's minds for the um mm-hmm. for the awards, and they commit big money. The mm-hmm. people who win those awards have frequently spent an enormous amount of money getting the word out and getting the awards and getting the you know getting the votes that they need to, right. to win those awards from. Fairly small groups of people. Mm-hmm. I was, um, 
I will conceal my sources for this story. It's not that deep a story, but I thought it was very enlightening. We were, a few years ago, there was a movie that did get a screener push, but it didn't ultimately get a lot of attention, and it was called 20th Century Women. God, that was such Annette a good Benning. movie. Great movie. Almost nobody saw it. No one except us. And I found and we saw that, it by accident. I found out later from a producer who was pretty well placed in the industry that part of the reason so few people knew about that movie is because Moonlight was coming out from the same company. It was a smaller company, and their promotional budget for the award season went to Moonlight, which, which was... I wasn't going to fault because I was a huge Moonlight God, fan. God, Moonlight was a great movie. But those are the types Still of decisions. I mean, you would want to think that in an idealistic way, oh, a movie is released, it gets buzz, it gets this organic audience reaction to it, and then there's a decision about whether or not it should get this big push during award season. But to some degree, that's not really the case. There's the two, there's, And there's the flip side of it, because it also creates this, I don't know, expectation, this belief that somehow this is the best actor mm-hmm. or the best picture or whatever – which is kind of nonsense mm-hmm. because it's a completely subjective, personal taste, how I felt that day kind of response, you know, d- d- category rather than an actual real thing. Like, I think sports events actually establish there is a, there's a winning and a losing. You mm-hmm. get more points than somebody else or you're in gymnastics and you're land more you stick more landings than anybody else and even that is subjective because it's your performance on that day but there is some way of actually gauging Mm -hmm. but that's as close as anybody really gets the rest of these things are entirely those shows where they compete for talent on television where it's just a matter of how many people texted you Mm -hmm. so your your backstory Mm -hmm. may have more to do than with than your actual performance. Mm-hmm. Like, you might be good, but if you have a really tragic backstory, like you need the money, the, the the prize money to pay for your mom's surgery, like, you might get more votes and actually win, even mm-hmm. though... So that isn't really a gauge of who's better or worse than anybody else, as if you could say that anyway. I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix said it... Somebody said it when they were receiving one of those, one of their awards, like the Golden Globes or something. Mm-hmm. They they actually said to the other people in their category, you know, there's no such thing as this, right? Wow. There's no such thing as best actor. Wow. Like that's yeah. Because there isn't. Right. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Like, so what about the best, was the best actor from last year better than the best actor from this year? Right. It, crea- it sets up that kind of expectation. And we get into this kind of mentality mm-hmm. built around, oh, well, I'm going to go see that because I want it to be the number one at the box office. So mm-hmm. it's like they're voting for something. Team mentality. Something I'm out. team this movie. Whatever. I'm team this book. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting because I, we're living in a time where we are deluged with entertainment options, particularly as you're because you're really talking about how ridiculous this is in the subjective arts, even that there would be a best when it's yeah. such a matter of opinion. And in terms of subjective forms of entertainment that we can enjoy, we're just deluged with stuff. There's like a million streaming options. There's all these different. There have been all these different cable channels for so many years now, and yet the desire for curation seems to be greater because all of those options can create a certain level of confusion and choice fatigue. We were talking to a group of writers recently about Netflix habits, and all of us were basically saying that most of our Netflix time is spent endlessly scrolling the screens 
unsure of what to land on. Right, and then I know? watch one episode of something and go, oh, that's really good, and then I never for, see yeah, it again. Yeah, I totally forget it, yeah. Because I'm because it disappears back into the great morass of Netflix, and who knows where it went. Yeah, we have something on our website that we haven't fed into a lot recently, but we started it when we were doing the dinner party show called Christopher and Eric's Favorites, and it's still there, and go check it out. But it was about recommending... Just products that we loved. I mean, some of it was books and movies, but it was also hard products and and stuff because, like, whose recommendation are you going to go off in an internet world? It's almost like you need to find somebody that you trust and you feel some kind of familiarity with. Otherwise, what you're facing is an endless wave of Amazon reviews, which may or may not be legit, honestly. And, and we're also dealing with this kind of ersatz, the best you know, endorsement from these completely contrived, like they they will say um, on car commercials, the the number one, uh, the number one selling truck uh, pickup truck in America. And I think, well, what difference does that make to me? Right. Like yeah. the fact that everybody in America, like you know, I know who they've elected into high office in this country, so I don't necessarily agree with everybody in America. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That doesn't necessarily sell me. He lost by three million popular votes, by the way. But yeah, absolutely. Um, but you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that sort of that kind of notion of of the the, the rules the, of attraction. The crowd is the, always right. Right. Yeah, the crowd, yeah. like sort of mob mentality. I think it's. It'd be... But you have to promote stuff somewhere. Yeah. Because the. Because the, the marketplace is so loud and so crowded. It's, the marketplace is like one giant Netflix app. Absolutely. And I think there are two different ways of approaching it when I'm looking for that type of recommendation. Like the number one best-selling truck in America on its, its most basic fundamental like level. Like we would drive a truck. Uh, like I would ever drive a pickup truck. I don't think I've ever have. But what it says to me is a large number of people have managed to drive this thing without being killed. This truck does not Long explode. Long enough to at least fill out a form <laughs> exactly. saying they like this truck. The tires don't come off. It does not mean this is the most excellent truck in the world and, and it has the best pickup. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with driving a pickup truck. They're no. just too big. I would They're be just, terrified to drive a pickup you, truck. Yes, exactly. And other people would be I would really be frightened whatever. if I, I drove a pickup I would, truck. If I lived in a certain environment, I would probably need a pickup truck. But anyway, it's nothing against pickup trucks. But it is. It's like the two, the way the recommendations land in your brain, they're two different nerve centers. One is the, this is a safe choice that I can rely on on some fundamental level. The other is what's the most excellent of the excellent. It is a choice. Yeah. And so we establish this sense of false supremacy by making these guys, like, who the hell is J.D. Powers and Associates? (laughs) Who who is that? Like, okay, so great. Like, good for them. Who the hell are they? Right, yeah. Like, we should start that. Christopher and Eric and Associates. Christopher and Eric and Associates. Uh, this is so this absolutely is the, the, the best uh, breath mint that, that you, you ever, ever did taste. Like, yeah. whatever. Because no. it does. It has no more significance than, than any of the other. Anyway, so the, the notion of award season has sort of begun to pervade beyond just the borders of Oscar mod. Right. It turns into which movies are we just going to talk about a lot? These are the movies we're picking for this season that we're just going to talk a lot about and focus on. And either you love them or you hated them. They're where they're what's going to get our attention. Or song or television show or pick anything. Right. Like it's like I, I honestly think that I can't keep track, but I just assume that the American Country Music Awards, they have them like every six weeks. Because <laughs> they're Always having the Country Music Awards, and Brad Paisley is trashing um, Blake 
um, whatever his name is, or I uh, don't know. Yeah, someone he, on Facebook. Will but know, they're yeah. host about hosting the show, and I, you know, yeah. well, trash talking so and so about. Right. Uh, about hosting the show, Reba McIntyre says, "Well, they got one woman to do what two men have had to do." You know, like, <laughs> I literally, like, I've never watched an, a country music award show, and I know all of this because right. they're always having another country music awards, but they have to promote country music somehow. So, mm-hmm. really, what we're having is a, a an event to help promote country music more than we're really having an event to establish who's the best country music singer or the best. When a it comes rap artist or whatever it is that we're giving the award. When for. it comes to the Academy Awards, do you feel it was always this way, or is this a more recent development? Did it go from being, did it become a marketing ceremony, or did it start out as a party? <laughs> the Academy Awards actually started out, um, and for completely different reasons than you would think. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. The Academy Awards are actually sort of ushering in the age of censorship in um, what? in Hollywood, there was there was a, I, I'm, I didn't research this because I didn't plan to talk about it tonight. So I'm sure there's better information than I'm going to be able to provide. But there was some real backlash about the 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 perceived lifestyles that we were living out here in wild and crazy Babylon Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was no real standards for what was going to be in films and. People and it got to be a bit of an issue, and so they 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 the the um, Motion Picture Academy was founded, and the Hayes Commission began. And all I was going to ask that the Hayes Commission when did they started, come in? Yeah, this that's all a part of the same kind of. It's about beginning to put a patina of respectability on the, on the movie industry. So it was really more about advertising the movie industry. Like the first Academy Awards were, you know, like a dinner party at the. At the Roosevelt. Here's what you can do, and sometimes I do this late at night to relax. You can go on YouTube, and the the official Oscars YouTube channel has posted the opening ceremony, I think, of every Academy Awards that they have access to. Right. And you can just go through the decades watching the ceremony But it gets change. to a point where it disappears because yeah. they, they didn't really – it wasn't as – it wasn't the kind of thing that it was now. The idea of 500 million people wanting to listen to – People win awards for having a good time and being rich and famous just did not really seem like a thing until much later on. But now do you think we're swinging in another direction because we have so much perceived access to celebrities all the time that this one special night in Hollywood where you're seeing them rub elbows and whatever, it's just we've got social media, we've got all these things. It's The specialness of it has worn off a bit. Well, I think it's I think it's transitioned into something else. I mean, we actually got ratings. Movies got ratings so that people could make informed choices about whether or not your kids should go. Right? You know, oh, that's an R-rated movie. I, uh, you know, I 
I'll take the kids myself so that I can usher them through this yes, absolutely. Uh, raunchy, highly sexual, really violent uh, film or not. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you want to do, PG-13, whatever that means. There used to be M. For mature. Yes. yes I've what, seen that on I some saw, old posters and poster shops I in Hollywood. S- I saw um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And that was, was rated M. M. My, my first, first R-rated M. movie was Flashdance. My parents took me to see it. I cannot remember a single frame of it. But it allowed people to take responsibility for that themselves. Yes, absolutely. Like we didn't have but let to have me make sure I'm following sleeping you. in twin beds or they, right. no toilets on the screen. Like they could actually begin to, rather than censoring the movies themselves, you could make your own choice about so whether or not you wanted to see that. The Academy Awards originally were about recognizing the movies that best conform to the overall standards no. of the Hayes Commission? They okay. were about creating a sense of here is this authority okay. that is overseeing this right. this kind of respectable business. That we, are, is, we are not trying to corrupt trust. the right. middle states with our coastal sinful ways. And we're going to be in compliance with whatever the Hayes Commission says. And we're going because to, if you weren't in compliance, you weren't eligible for an Academy is, Award. Yeah, like okay. it wouldn't get released at all. Yeah. Okay. I had no idea. I thought it was all marketing It was all much the time. more. I'm probably oversimplifying it, and I'm sure it's a better story than that. Maybe next time I'll research it. Probably I'll forget as soon as we finish recording this. But you can always look it up online. Yeah. Well, it's why we record our podcast because you'll always forget them if we have to do them again oh yeah um i something that occurred to me as we were we said we, anyway no i wasn't quite done oh okay sorry because what we were talking about was so once people could make their own choice mm-hmm. and do their own choose their own censorship and the, we the academy kind of got out of the business of censorship it was sort of like well what is the what does this really mean and we went through this sort of Pia Zadora period of mm-hmm. awards where but it, but <laughs> wait, I, wait tell people what you mean when Pia you say Zadora Pia Zadora won period. a golden globe for a movie called Butterfly that she and some of her friends saw I guess in her <laughs> living room I've never heard of it before and it was apparently pretty clearly established that um the very wealthy man that she was married to had bought her the award. Yeah. Okay. Because that award is provided by about 90 people. Yes, absolutely. Actually vote on that award. I think the Academy is a few thousand. That's the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is responsible for the Golden Globe. Right. They have a building here in West Hollywood that I have never seen anyone enter or exit. It's a very small, it doesn't um, ever practically seem to be a open. storefront. Just down the street from the Abbey, a very popular gay bar that you might have gay heard of. Gay themed bar. A gay themed bar. Anyway. <laughs> So, okay, is that, I don't want to step on but the rest so, of the point. So that it, became, but it began to be this sort of, the thing that we're seeing now, this kind of marketing, it got sort of adopted as a way of giving extra life and selling extra tickets. Because ultimately that's what the business is trying right. to do. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, isn't that true of other, like, I, I if you're going to win a Booker Award, they're going to put it on the cover of your book. Yes, I think that is true. I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about it because it seems Pulitzer like Prize. the gulf between a lot... Well, there are the really esteemed, vaunted literary prizes like the Pulitzer Prize and the Booker Award. But are they then any the, more establishing of significance than any of the other awards? No, and there are accusations of corruption all around them totally. as well, too, that people can gain, get certain people appointed to be Pulitzer judges. Some of the shit I have read that's supposed yeah, to be Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, I I, I don't think it indicates that. Anything. But in terms of your question of whether or not it translates into book sales, 
for those two, I would say it does because they are usually accorded to books that have not sold very many copies yeah. to begin with. They are not accorded to Stephen King or Nora Roberts novels that are already selling very briskly in the marketplace. So they don't. So need the them. bump, the bump is sizable. I think where where the thing that I hear writers wrestle over is that the genre specific awards, which can mean a lot to writers, rarely have an impact on book sales. Maybe. We're not going to talk about the Rita Awards because they were recently subsumed in controversy and have been canceled this year, but they were the gold standard for romance writing awards. I don't know if Rita Award winners walked away saying, wow, my book sold so many more copies after I won a Rita. Uh, I don't know if that's the case for the Thriller Awards or whatever, but I know that it, it's not noticeable from a distance. Oh, something won the Thriller Award and it's now rocketing up to the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. I think those awards become... But that's what it says on our website. Coltish. Wait, what? What does it say on our website? That there are two best New York Times best-selling authors. But that is different. <laughs> that is a sales benchmark. That is a sales benchmark. The but, award doesn't necessarily produce the other. But it does give you something to promote your book on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Rita award-winning or whatever, whether it works or not. But the is, question is, does it mean that much to someone who's just browsing the racks in the bookstore? Anything to separate you from the crowds, right. from the table. If it gets you off the rack and onto a table of Rita Award winners, mm -hmm. then you have a better chance of reaching your audience. It has become to be, because people, because censorship is not the thing that it was. Establishing standards are not, that isn't a requirement anymore. Right. So now what are we, what do these things mean? And I think what they mean is just an opportunity to try and separate yourself from the crowd in a really busy marketplace mm -hmm. where anything you can do, right. it's like there's people winning talent, com singing competitions because their mother needs surgery. Right. Like mm -hmm. that isn't really a good reason to win a singing competition, but you have to win based on something. You have to get the vote somehow. What's our favorite line from 30 Rock? The Alec Baldwin character, who's the big muckety-muck producer, is watching a reality show, and they're introducing the contestants. And the reality show is called MILF Island. It's just disgusting. And it's young boys are put As on an island with MILFs. Other. Right, opposed to all those upstanding, morally um, attuned reality shows. And uh, Alec Baldwin is watching, and they're introducing one of the contestants on the reality show, one of the She's older women. Babe. And she says, she has a wonderful story. She tried to be an actress in Los Angeles. <laughs> And that's the whole story that's that they present backstory. for her. Yeah, we thought that was very funny. I want to take the conversation in a different direction. I'm not going to eat these mints yet, though, because we're recording a podcast. We're online. And I reached for them, and I got a yeah. look from Eric Shaw Quinn. We're live. I actually didn't, wasn't paying any attention to you, but whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to keep me from So what from do chewing. you want to talk about, Christopher Rice? I think it's an interesting conversation about how an individual defines their own success. And maybe it's only relevant to artists or people in creative fields, but I think it spreads outward from there. This idea that other people, the awards and accolades that we get from other people are often too uh, mercurial in how individuals arrive at them for us to take them as definitions of who we are. And I um, was intrigued by a sort of snarky tweet that I saw recently, which listed I think they were all Best Picture winners. Uh -huh. If they weren't, they were Best Picture nominees. And I had forgotten about pretty much all of them. And I'm a, I'm a kind of a pop culture guy, uh -huh. as you are. Right. But there were a bunch of films that were, during this time of the year, the most important movie that anybody could talk about in that moment, and we are not talking about them today. Yeah, it's like who, all, who ran against, um, well, I don't know, um, 
Grover Cleveland. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a point after which that doesn't really matter anymore. Right. I mean, obviously, that that's maybe a, a place where vote getting counts a little bit more <laughs> yeah. than the Academy Awards. But it's hard to remember the the other nominees in who beat out um, Clark Gable for the Academy Award the year of Gone with the Wind. What we remember is a strange thing. There's a strange calculus that goes into what actually right. endures. Like Stephen King has given some interviews saying he doesn't actually believe his books are going to endure. He doesn't believe that he'll be Charles Dickens, as some people have, have said of him today, that he thinks he writes... It's a strange thing for him to say about his own books, and maybe he's being too self-deprecating, but he thinks they're just... They're going to be forgotten. They're popular. Yeah, they're popular fiction. The... I mean, Shakespeare, we talk about a lot... He was popular in his day. He was the popular choice. He was not the literary significant choice. Dickens was the popular choice, and Thackeray, I think, was sort of his rival, right? Or at least that movie that they made about Dickens writing Christmas Carol presents the writer Thackeray as his sort of nemesis, <laughs> right? And Thackeray wrote Vanity Fair, which is arguably not as famous a novel as anything Dickens has written. Dickens has really gone on to... Produ Dickens produced... His novels have gone on to become... True classics, but there are a lot of writers and artists that critical communities and awards givers thought were the shit, and we don't know who they are today, right? You know, I mean, and I think that's something that we use to console ourselves when people say our books are shit. <laughs> it's like, what do you know? You're not making this decision for the well, next generation. It can't be the reason that you write your book, right? Exactly. It can't be the reason. You have to. Write the book that you want to read. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise you're just going to drive yourself. You're just going to crawl up your own ass. Yeah. Like, I hope Stephen King enjoys those books because he's written a lot of and them. I and I think he does. And I've always and said, great. my my blog post on my website about the writing life because every writer at some point has to write something about why you do what you do. It feels like an obligation. It basically says you got to write what you're obsessed with. It, you've got to write about what you can stay obsessed with in a positive, energetic way. Right. And I think there. I think that's a recipe for happiness to some degree. Like, what can you become positively obsessed with that isn't negative and dark? And, I mean, I'm kind of positively obsessed with things that are negative and dark, but I've channeled it into <laughs> Which storytelling. Which is an interesting dichotomy, but yeah. still. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I guess that you you want something that's going to engage you mm -hmm. um, at some level. Like, the, there's that thing they say, you do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. Like, you really are working, but it's it's something. It's a positive sort of. You enjoy doing the whatever the thing is. Right. Whittling, you know, wood carving. Yeah, no, you love wood carving. Fuck whittling. I, I I don't. I'm against the whittlers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm and I'm but whittling phobic. Wood carving. Yeah. You know, like so you enjoy carving wood, and so you do that for a living, and you carve all day every day, and you're great. Or you write books every day, or whatever it is that you do. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as it, I was trying to pick something that wasn't just, that was more labor intensive. Yeah. And the flip gardening. In terms of books, movies, and TV and stuff that we, pop culture, we like to consume, I think the flip side of this is fans of specific things having the confidence to be fans of it publicly without having to apologize for it. I think my experience in romance fiction has really taught me what that asks of readers because. To declare yourself a romance fan is, in certain circles, to just kind of open yourself up to ridicule. Well, you know? I think that um, that the great democracy of publishing will is taking care of that. <laughs> Tell us what you mean by well, that. Well, I mean all of the, the grand poobahs pronouncing things, this is fine literature, who are making 
$8 a year <laughs> um, may in fact be like, well, it's sort of like when they decided to do SoundScan mm-hmm. and they realized that country music was like the best-selling music in the country. They 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 didn't know. They, they weren't keeping track. And so right. they were assuming certain things were the most popular forms of music that they were selling. And they started actually counting the albums that they sold with a thing called SoundScan so that every time somebody right. bought an album, there was a record and it was sent to Billboard magazine. And so they got a cumulative mm-hmm. um, idea of how many albums were actually being sold. And they discovered country music. It had been there all along, but they just assumed, oh, you know, yeah. those people over there are buying it, but nobody else really pays any attention to it. And it turns out that it was a hugely popular form. And as a result, it kind of got way more attention in, in, in the country. And I think that the same thing may be in the process of becoming true um, in the world of books and literature as we get a better gauge of what's actually selling. Exactly. But even if it's not, right? When even Uncle if the first people came out, they would never have it at the bookstore. They were because they were always sold out of it. Right. And as yeah. I said to them, if you bought more copies of the book, mm-hmm. maybe it would sell more copies. Right. Because clearly it's popular enough to always be sold out. And they were like, well, that's not how we make that decision. Yeah. Well, the people who consider themselves part of a publishing elite, if you will, the people who want to make those decisions for people, they can always push back publicly with this idea that, that what the majority of people, it gets back to what we're talking about is what the crowd likes. That the majority of the great unwashed masses are wrong or they're deluded or they only want well, a certain the type of The great unwashed masses but like the other Shakespeare, not right. Christopher Marlowe. Exactly. But the other side of that is that I think I think the internet emboldens um, people who love things that are dismissed by those elites to become stronger and more aggressive cheerleaders for what they really like. Because it's it's taking them out of the room with those people where they might be insulted to their face, and it's allowing them to start blogs dedicated to the genre they actually love to read, and it's, a, it's allowed for a specific review culture to build up around the types of books. I think we talked about this on another episode recently where you have people who love crime fiction reviewing crime fiction and not automatically faulting it no matter what's in the book because it's not a literary novel. And you have given those people a voice that's every bit as loud as the, right. the literary poobahs because you can reach as many people, probably more people, with a tweet than you can reach yes. on the front page of the New York Times. That's correct. Like it's, it is really, that has been a part of the great democracy of the interwebs yeah. that has happened is that it is you don't have to be that sort of i say i'm an authority so i am the mm-hmm. what was his name ellsworth tuey i think I it was remember. in the fountainhead who was oh, the oh yeah the, the, the mm-hmm. grand prognosticator of what was good and bad architecture right. as opposed to um what what you know allowing people to make mm-hmm. their own judgments for them i think that that sort of ad authoritatum ad hominem kind of argument for I I am this, so right. I am I work in publishing, so I am of somehow qualified to say that this book is better than that book. Yeah, my my mother has talked about the internet doing that in the fact of of giving wider platforms to regional newspaper book reviews. Like it used to be, the only national book reviews you would see would be the New York Times and maybe the right. Washington Post, or like a few other places. But when she could suddenly share on her social media pages a glowing review of her book from a newspaper in in. Biloxi, Mississippi, they were the, they were platformed in a way that they hadn't been right. before. Yeah. There was a lot more. It gave it, it sort of equaled out the volume of those voices, mm-hmm. or 
I'm afraid probably what it's done is raise the volume of all the voices. So now it's this great cacophony, which brings us back to our original point of how do you break through that? And one of the ways is by getting somebody to say you're the best. Right. Somebody, and anyone. Give you, and give you a gold cup that yeah. says the best and your name the on Eric it. The Eric Shawquin Fine Literature Award, as we will award <laughs> here. No, talk about the award ceremony you've always wanted to do. Uh the 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 golden kernel yeah the golden kernel I or have the Velveeta always, I have always wanted to do yeah the Velveeta whatever you want to call it I have always wanted to do um, an Academy Award level um, award ceremony for popular movies mm-hmm. like. I think it's ridiculous to keep doing this thing of, well, is this year, is Star Wars or um, Marvel or whatever it is going to be good enough to be nominated right. for Best Picture? Let's have a Best Picture category for the, the movies that most people are seeing. Mm-hmm. Let's let's have that, that award ceremony, too. I, I don't see them as being mutually exclusive. There are times when I want to see a tiny little dark film about two people sitting in a room – Dying at their slowly as they gaze talking, at their navels. Right, yeah. and talking to In it. French. And there were times when I want to go see a bunch of big things blow up and people fly through the air in their magic costumes Sounds like your weekend in West Hollywood, Eric Shawquin. And so why why do those things have to be mutually and exclusive? And you don't think that the MTV Movie Awards fill this purpose for you? I don't think they have established the kind of prestige for the awards themselves that the academies, that the Oscars have. Okay. I would like to create something that is as prestigious to award things for being, you know, beloved or popular. Okay. As as we give as awards given for so it would still have to be a good film. Yeah. Right. Like we would still be saying this is a good film, but this is the best of this this your 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 genre example, right? The best absolutely. of this genre, rather than the best of the Oscar bait. This is the best of the the popcorn bait, and okay. it would be a golden, a single a literal golden kernel, golden kernel. right? A single a... golden kernel. I think that's a wonderful idea. I think we're going to start it right here at the TDPS. I Network. would love to do it. We just need about a couple million dollars worth of funding, and we will be we will be off. Well, the first to thing the we have to do, then what we do is we begin by getting an organization of the people who are making those movies together. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get your funding because mm-hmm. that's who paid for the the that who pays who paid for the academy in the first place is Excellent. the studios. Well, I feel like this idea may be closer to fruition than we realize. But in the meantime, we want to tell people that we are returning to True Crime TV Club in our next episode. And if you want to. Uh, be a good student and watch the episode before we discuss it, which is not a requirement, no. as we always say. Try and go through it really well on our own. We will be discussing for the first time an episode of a show called People Magazine Investigates. And it is in season one. It is episode 10. And the episode title is The Darkest of Nights. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And we will say no more because we will be talking about it in detail. We will say so much more about it next week. When we say we're just going to say one thing, we usually end up saying 20 things because we're intense gay guys who've had a lot of caffeine. we can just go on and on and on. Thanks to Jeannie Quinn, Eric's mother, for our show's official tagline. Y'all can just go on and on forever. Forever, yeah, isn't that lovely? And and supportive and, and kind. Absolutely, Eric. Any final thoughts? Oh God, <laughs> that's how Christopher wrapped up the first episode of the dinner party show, and I thought I was going to kill. And him. it was the only time in history when Eric had nothing to say. Well, because 
final thoughts <laughs> asks for something significant. I have a new uh, like act he, of thoughts. I he, have a new opus of thoughts. If he I don't have a final to me and thought. Said, Anything we forgot to talk about, Eric, I would have been fine with that. But yeah. any final thoughts is like, well, I believe that uh, you know we should have world peace and. Uh, uh, I don't know vaccines for everyone. Absolutely, I think. Yeah, I um, you know, uh, I'll never do it to you again. Not in jest. How's that? You still did it. I did it, but in jest. But it's still. And if you do something in jest, it's fine. It no, re-traumatizes it you. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I'm re-traumatizing. You're just bringing up a bad memory. It may be funny for you. It's very funny for me. Uh-huh. Very, very you think funny. Every, actually, I think everything you is think, so funny. But that's why I need to hold on to that, because that's the time I really got you. Okay. However unintentionally. You know what I was thinking of when I said that was Jerry Springer. See how we just go on and on? Jerry Springer used to do his final thought. And really? Yes, he would do one of his insane shows, and then he would have a, a wrap up about. But he and the reason about you it. shouldn't have a child with your father is because this and this and this. But it was a yeah script. But he would have thought about it before. Yeah. He wasn't just asked to do it extemporaneously live on the air. After you remember that night, it was like we were doing it. It on, was unbelievable. Yeah, we used was, to do the dinner party show live. If you ever listened to it, it is a live, it was recorded as a live show with no, the sketch comedy was edited and scripted and produced, but the interviews and the two of us talking to each other, it was live. Everything was live. So everything that happened was just up. So oh, yeah, wow. pulling your thoughts together was not a thing that happened on those nights usually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we start wandering all the way down memory lane, we should probably bring this episode of TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric to a close. Again, a reminder, next week, True Crime TV Club returns with a discussion of People Magazine Investigates, Season 1, Episode 10. The episode is entitled The Darkest of Nights. <laughs> Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. Thanks.